year. Is it true they leave in show business in a year? No. Not as far as we know, unless we get shots or something. I do believe if you dream about a relative who's crossed over, then that is them saying hi. I really do think that. Every time he smells human, like a fire from a far off way, and you know, he'll, uh, he'll just get really disgusted and hide. And he just tries to stay away from people. I can relate to that. <laughs> this is Strange Music Stories. I'm your host, Chris, and this is the first episode on this podcast channel. The themes for this channel as a whole are going to be bizarre, horrific, mysterious, or just anything I find interesting in music history also if anyone has any suggestions don't be shy let me know what's on your mind so for today's topic i'll be discussing the 27 club at this point it's pretty well known in popular culture but for those that are unaware if you're thinking it's a club you want to be a part of uh, you might want to think again about that because joining the 27 club is widely perceived to be a curse and you guessed it, the reason it's called the 27 Club is because all these influential individuals did not see a year older than 27. So I guess the motto for this uh, episode is live fast and die young because almost all these individuals burned the candle for far too long at both ends. All right, and the first person we shall discuss, Mia Zapata, a very talented musician, born August 25th, 1965 in Louisville, Kentucky. She was the front woman of the Gits, founded in 1986 in Yellow Springs, Ohio. In 1990, the band moved to Seattle, Washington to strike it big. She sadly was raped and murdered in Seattle on July 7, 1993, after hanging out with some members of the Seven Year Bitch, interesting name, and leaving a music venue named the Comet Tavern. True Crime Garage talk about this at great length. Actually, they did a whole episode. Anybody's interested should should check it out. I thought it was very very fascinating. Unfortunately, the culprit was never apprehended, and the case went cold. Really a tragedy. The Gits were really talented. I particularly like that song, Second Skin. Pretty dynamic stuff. Oh, and also, uh, Mizapata is probably one of the few people on this list that didn't die from hedonism, so something to consider. <laughs> All right, next player, number two, Jim Morrison. Born on December 8, 1943 in Melbourne, Florida. He was also given the alias of the Lizard King. Doors were founded by Ray Meserich and himself in the summer of 1964. The name of the band actually was taken from an Aldous Huxley book, which was written in 1963, called, you guessed it, The Doors of Perception. I actually read it. It's a pretty interesting book. It's his, uh, he recounts his first experience uh, tripping on mescaline. All right, continuing. In 1968, Morrison started drinking heavily and showing up to shows late, which I'm sure the fans just absolutely loved. <laughs> you know, oh, God, that must be so annoying. I can't say I've ever been to a show where um, um, a famous musician has actually showed up late, but I can only imagine if you've been waiting for a few hours to see whoever you paid to see. Not a fun experience. Anyway. All right, so next thing. Uh, so apparently, I guess at one point in time, some friends and Morrison were hanging out at a Los Angeles bar on October 1970, and they recalled him uh, muttering these w chilling words, quote, you're drinking with number three. That's right, number three. So he was referring to Hendrix and Joplin, who died nine months previously before him. 
Morrison died of heart failure in Paris on July 3rd, 1971, and was buried in Père Lachaise Cemetery. His body was found in the bathtub of Pamela Curson, Curson, C-U-R-S-O-N. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that name correctly. Please don't begrudge too much if I mispronounced it. Anyway, his corpse was found in the bathtub of her apartment. Oh, and fun fact, uh, couples, <laughs> for one reason or another, like to have sex on Jim Morrison's grave. So I'm not entirely sure what the appeal of that is, but hey, whatever you're into, I guess. That's pretty frisky business there. All right. After his death, actually, the band went on to create two more albums following Morrison's death before finally ending in 1973. His death occurred also two years to the day after Brian Jones's death. Wink, wink, nod, nod. That name might come up again in this list. <laughs> anyway, so yes, uh, apparently, um, yeah, his story ended uh, based on hedonism as well. Just not taking care of himself. Obviously, there are conspiracy theories. You can check it out yourself. Not sure if I buy into it too much, but, you know, whatever you're into. In fact, there's almost a conspiracy theory for all these people on some level. So, all right, next one. Another very famous, well-known female artist back in the 60s, Janis Joplin, born in Port Arthur, Texas on January 19, 1943. It was argued that she was the first female rock and roll star, and a lot of women adored her for her outspoken message of self-love. Yes, you have to love yourself, even if you don't. <laughs> she joined a psychedelic band called the Big Brother and the Holding Company in 1966 and they rose to fame when they performed at the monterey pop festival in june 18 1967 other acts were jefferson airplane the grateful dead the who jimmy hendrix experience ravi shankar otis redding the mamas and the papas and that's what i have i guess at this point they also released two studio albums so that's pretty cool so things are riding high for her and her band well, get this. At one point, she was injecting $1,300. That's today's dollar, adjusted to inflation, $1,300 of heroin a day. Wow. Okay, that is some serious stuff right there. All right. She played Woodstock on Sunday, August 17th, 1969. Apparently, she shot heroin and drank a lot before her set, which some say made her made for a somewhat less than stellar performance on her part. I mean... I listen to stuff. I, th I, I thought she sounded great, but whatever. It's just, that's me. Okay, and regretfully, I guess with her, you know, hedonistic lifestyle, as a lot of people on this list, she died in, in Hollywood October 4th, 1970, at the Landmark Motor Hotel from a heroin overdose. Her last album was released posthumously on January 1971, and she was also inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1995. That, that's very tragic. She was a very, very talented woman. Um, yeah, this is clearly, I'm starting off this podcast on a very, very high note with this, with this topic. All right. Um, okay. The fourth person to, <laughs> to fall at death's hand, Brian Jones. What a tragic story this one is too. Born on February 28, 1942 in Sheltyham, uh, United Kingdom, he was the original founder of the Rolling Stones, and he created it in 1962. He was the only seasoned musician who could play. Keith and Mick were still green when they first joined Jones's band. Jones also apparently picked the name of the band from a Muddy Waters track. 
I am not quite sure which track it was. Um, if anybody knows and wants to tell me, I'd, I'd like to know. So, yeah. By the way, there's definitely going to be some holes in this, these stories. There's just too much to talk about. So, anybody, if you, if you want to add anything or let me know in the comments below. All right. So, moving on. The Stones' uh, first gig was at the Marquee in London on July 21st, 1962. Interestingly enough, no one came to see them perform at first. Yes, apparently they had a somewhat slow start. It wasn't magic right off the bat. Some things had to change. Um, So things didn't really start to change until uh, this young fellow named Andrew Luke Oldham really paved the way for them when he started managing them which was taken from Jones. He was not happy uh, when that change occurred. Also, uh, Oldman encouraged the band to play more into the bad boy persona image, which, con- which contrasted greatly with the Beatles. This was not in- unintentional. He intentionally wanted them to conflict with uh, the, the clean-cut look of the Beatles, almost like the evil twins. So, yeah, job well done. <laughs> The band rose to international prominence in 1965 after releasing their second LP, while the entire... Okay, <clears throat> so that was the end of that sentence. Sorry. So yeah, they released their second LP in 1965, and that's when they rose to the fame. Okay. While the entire band was having run-ins with the law for drug possession, Jones was having many more encounters than the rest. In addition, he indulged a lot more than the others. Apparently, he got busted several times, and it was also noted that Jones really did have a bipolar attitude towards things. He was either really hot or really cold. You just never knew. It really just depended on the day, but he, he did feel a growing um, alienation from the band, especially when, well, actually, I'll just continue with the list, but yeah, he became much more alienated from the band, and that's the next note. Brian also became resentful that the influence over the band started to shift to J- Jagger, since it was very apparent that that Oldman thought he was much more charismatic than Jones. Brian also started staying at more expensive hotels and treating himself more luxuriously than the rest of the band in order to keep up the image of him still being numero uno, which didn't jive well with the rest of the band. I'm sure they were very pissed when he started putting himself on a pedestal. I would be. (laughs) Anyway, the power really ended for Jones when Richards and Jagger wrote their first song, As Tears Go By. Richards, Jones, and, uh, all right, so that's the end of that note. So, yeah, when tears go by, um, moving on. Richards, Jones, and Anita Pollenberg, um, Brian's then-girlfriend, drove to Morocco, and Jones got sick while on the road, which prompted him to be left behind, while Richards and Pollenberg went ahead with the journey, leading her to drop Jones and to start dating Richards. They actually got married and had three kids. That is Keith and her. Damn. That is, whoa. That is tough, man. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. In that instance, I feel for the man. That's that's a really unfortunate. That's a rough blow, man. <laughs> All right. Um, tired of his antics, the band got together and fired Brian Jones on June 8th, 1969. And this is really where things just... That's it. That was. This is where the story, his story ends, unfortunately. Shortly thereafter, he drowned in his own pool on July 2nd, 1969, in London. Wow. Yeah, this is a, this is a heavy one. Uh, fun fact. Jones um, had two or three kids by the time he was 20 and six 
total, six children total before the age of 27 or before the age of 27. Wow. He did get around. Talk about sowing your wild oats, man. Woo. Okay. Well, yep. The very definition of a living fast and dying young. Jeez. All right. Another very notable, more contemporary female act who needs no introduction is Amy Winehouse. She was born on September 14th, 1983 in London. Her debut album called was called Frank and was released on October 20th, 2003. Her second album, Back to Black, was released on October 27th, 2006, which garnered her interna- garnered her international fame from the single track Rehab. Yes, we all know it. Great song. Uh, Winehouse apparently expressed concerns about dying at the age of 27 in an interview, or I think it was actually before she expressed, yeah, she expressed that she was going to join the club. Um, how she knew, I don't know, just one of those prophetic moments, I guess, uh, some epiphany, but apparently, yeah, she, she did claim to, that she was not going to live past the age of 27, or uh, that she was going to die at the age of 27. This clip can be seen in the 2015 doctor documentary Asif Kapadia directed named Amy, which actually was really good. That, actually, I recommend that. That was a really great documentary. Very tragic, very sad. Uh, it showed her as a much more <clears throat> much more human than just a damaged person, and that really fame does suck. I mean, sure, there are perks, but it, 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 having the paparazzi in your face all the time can't be fun, especially when you, you know, when you're you're labeled as an alcoholic all the time, jeez. Uh, okay, her hairstylist uh, Alex Fodden or whatever was apparently quoted as saying that Amy always told me she she thought she'd become a member of the Twenty Seven Club. Yeah, as I already stated. Um, tragically, she died a month after her last show in uh, Belgrade, Serbia, and the date of her death was uh, July twenty third, twenty eleven, in London. Uh, yeah, that Belgrade show. Um, that was a really uh, an atrocious show by her. Um, it was it was really sad. She had to go out like that. You can actually see in uh, the 2015 Amy documentary again. Um, yeah, the documentary once again is great. I recommend it. Very sad though. So yeah, don't expect to <laughs> to feel very cathartic after. It's a pretty lamenting uh, documentary. And uh, yeah, so that's the end of these notes on Amy. Uh, moving on. Number six, uh, obviously needs no introduction to any millennial, the one and only pioneer of grunge, uh, Kurt Cobain. Uh, he was born February 20th, 1967 in Aberdeen, Washington. In a 2006 interview documentary called About a Son, um, oh yeah, this inter- before I go any further, this interview is very interesting. It's, um, it's Kurt narrating over a montage of uh, imagery from, um, I guess, just footage in Aberdeen. like everyday life it's pretty cool and uh okay so the interviews for the the documentary were taken between december 1992 and march of 1993 okay so largely kurt just goes into detail that about how he started becoming manic depressive at the tender age of just nine years old and that life was really good until he turned eight he also states that his dad would beat him over simple things such as spilling water his parents divorced when he was Oh, I'm sorry, and his parents also divorced at, at a young age, and he didn't have much of a relationship with his dad. No surprise. I mean, if he's hitting him over spilling water, I guess I won't have a relationship with my dad either. Anyway, all right, moving on. He was also a big fan of the Beatles and Queen and listened to them constantly as a child. When he was in eighth grade, he had scoliosis and, 
and playing the guitar only made the, the curvature of his spine worse. Um, he got kicked out of his house when he was decide when he decided during the end of his senior year in high school that he wanted to pursue music as a rocker instead of going to college. Yes, I'm sure most parents would kick out their children if they said fuck, they did not want to participate in education anymore. So no surprise there. He had chronic stomach pains and did heroin to relieve the pain, which it did. And he felt that was much a much better alternative than he said, quote, blowing his brains and his head off with a gun, unquote. Kind of foreshadowing. This is his own words. If you want to watch the documentary and check it out, it's pretty interesting. Okay. Um, oh, also tangent. Uh, in the beginning of the, the clip um, for the opening intro, uh, there's a, a clip with the Beatles uh, talking, and the, then John Lennon saying that you know the only time they'd end show business if they got shot. Which, uh, wow, that was also some foreshadowing stuff, huh? Anyway, moving on. So he also this is just a random tidbit fact has nothing to do with anything but i thought it was interesting he said he also prefers cats over dogs because as he put it they have a fu attitude and as everybody knows i you know he meant you attitude so anyway cobain met courtney love in portland and was attracted to her cause because uh, he thought she was exactly like nancy spudgeon who dated and was allegedly murdered by Sibisius from the Sex Pistols, a punk band formed in 1978. It's kind of funny given the parallels of both relationships. Uh, yeah, both both uh, couples certainly like to party and get high or, or shoot heroin or whatever. Okay. Um, also, there's an interesting documentary out uh, called uh, Soaked in Bleach. Uh, it's a 2014 documentary. And uh, this is it's pretty damning towards um, love. It it's pretty much uh, alleges that Courtney uh, murdered uh, Cobain for his money. And uh, this was stated by a private investigator named Tom Grant, who actually Courtney hired. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, I didn't see, um, I full disclosure, I did not see the documentary. So um, I'm sure there's other inst- <laughs> um, things mentioned in there that I'm not well versed in. So Anybody want to check it out? Let me know. We can discuss it. Okay, moving on. Uh, now, in the other, back to the documentary I was talking about previously about a son. He also states that opiates helped him not to despise people as much, which he refers, he basically refers to a lot uh, in in the documentary. And like another member, a person who I guess really loved to shoot heroin, he was uh, shooting four hundred dollars of heroin a day. Um, I don't know if that's adjusted to adjusted inflation by today's standards, so I guess it might be more. If it's not, so I don't know. Uh, no surprise, he hates journalists. He hated journalists. Uh, he uh, admitted uh, candidly that he felt like. Uh, Music, uh, the moment the band became famous, it, it would turn into a, a day job, <laughs> which is interesting. Um, so, and the band itself uh, didn't reach the limelight until after the release of a very famous Nevermind album, which was released in uh, September 24th, 1991. He killed himself on April 5th, 1994 at his home in Seattle. And, uh, yes, yeah, so that's, that's a very tragic end to a, a legend, really, another legend. Um, yeah, and there's some other notes here. I'm not sure if I want to discuss them. Um, 
Okay, I do want to mention this one thing. Cobain told a schoolmate, apparently he told a schoolmate at a young age, I'm not sure what age, but that he was going to be a successful musician and go out in a blaze of glory like Jimi Hendrix. And that segues into perfectly into our last person we will discuss on this um, list of uh, the 27 Club. All right. um, Yeah, number seven, the last. And not not to say the least by any means either. Uh, Jimi Hendrix, born on November 27th, 1942 in Seattle. He was forced to enlist in the Army after some run-ins with the law in 1961 and was trained as United States Airborne. Unfortunately, or fortunately, as we know how things turned out, he was granted honorable discharge as, quote, unsuitable for the Army given his apparent poor performance as a soldier. Now, this is interesting because at certain interviews, he was cited, he has been he quoted saying that they let him go because he broke his foot but um, from like an accident of, of jumping out of a plane, but apparently that's not the case. Um, okay, so after he left the Army, he played with the Isley Brothers and Little Richards Band, but it wasn't until 1966 where he played a gig at the Cheetah Club in New York and met Linda Keith then girlfriend of Keith Richards. Yep, we know his relation to Brian Jones. And uh, she was completely awestruck with Hendrix's performance, which gave him his break, actually. She introduced him to uh, Chaz Chandler, who was the original bassist of The Animals. He brought him to London, where he helped Hendrix form his own band. And, uh, yeah, the band itself was named the Jimi Hendrix Experience. And it was formed in London on June 1966. And it consisted of Noel Redding on bass and Mitch Mitchell on the drums. Hendrix, shortly after the band was formed, actually managed to upstage Air Clapped at the London Polytech gig, or venue, I guess, where Cream was performing on October 1st, 1966. Like Chaplin, he and his band played the... Monterey Pop Festival, and there was some heated debate about whether to which band would follow The Who, as in The Who, the band, or not in the lineup. So The Who or the in the Jimi Hendrix experience, neither wanted to be outdone by the other. Since they both were kind of intimidated by each other's performance, they flipped a coin and Hendrix went first, which prompted him to set his guitar on fire af- after his set was finished. <laughs> Rolling Stones magazine published a picture of this, and this, in effect, made Jim Hendrix a national name. They recorded three albums and broke up on June 29, 1969, after the last show at Barry Fay's Denver Pop Festival. Hendrix played Woodstock on August 18, 1969, with his famous rendition of the Star Spangled Banner. On September 17, 1970, Hendrix died from asphyxiation his own vomit while overdosing on barbiturates. He died in London and was staying with Monica Dennerman in her apartment when he he passed. Okay, so with that, good people, this is the end of this first podcast. Um, Once again, if anybody has any ideas about what they want me to discuss, I would greatly appreciate it. I'm thinking about generally uploading something once every one to two weeks, so given, you know, what I find interesting and references and stuff. So once again, if you have any uh, ideas, just please DM me. Don't don't hesitate. Anyway, it's been real. Um, Yeah, I'm Chris, and this is my podcast, uh, Strange Music Stories. Tune in next time. Bye.